So this morning, we continue our series, as you can see on the screens, The Christmas Story of Redemption. And in this series, we are talking about Jesus' coming at Christmas, but we're doing so by primarily looking at the overarching story of the Bible. And this is now our third week in this series, and, and two weeks ago, we looked at creation, and we saw how God created us and this universe for his glory and even for our good. And then last week, we looked at what we call the fall. And there, we saw that on the one hand, in the historical fall, sin, sorrow, and death entered our world. And it hasn't been the same since. And now all of us are sinners ourselves. But then on the other hand, we also saw last week that as soon as evil entered the world, God promised that he would do something about it. He promised in Genesis 3.15 that this coming he would crush the serpent and crush evil and eventually make everything right again. So that was the last two weeks. That brings us now to this week. And as a reminder, the the easiest four-step summary uh, for the whole storyline of the Bible is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so with creation and the fall covered, now this week we move on to redemption. Redemption. But as we said a couple weeks ago, this step of redemption is the majority of the Bible, so we're actually going to take a few weeks on it. But to start, as you can see in the message title in your bulletins, we'll be looking at redemption foreshadowed in the story of Israel. And all, all that means is that in history, what happened after the fall and sin entered this world is that technically then God's plan of redemption started to unfold. And we, can, and we talked about this a little bit last week because it all began in Genesis 3.15 with God's promise to defeat evil. And then it continued in the book of Genesis with God choosing Abraham and his descendants. And then it led to Moses and the people of Israel. And then finally from there on the story of Israel takes prominent place in the Old Testament. But even more generally, as we'll see this morning, the story of Israel is redemption foreshadowed because if you want to generally understand, very generally understand why we have this whole Old Testament and and why we have these long books and stories and songs and such about Israel, it's helpful to think of this idea of foreshadowing. Meaning God redeemed and chose Israel as a mini picture of the redemption that was to come in Christ for Israel and for the whole world. And Israel, not only that, but God chose Israel to show how they and how we really need that redemption in Christ. And so that's what we'll see this morning, this redemption foreshadowed with Israel. But then concerning how exactly we'll go through this together this morning, there's honestly a lot of ways we could have done this, and that's because essentially what we'll be doing this morning is we're going to try to summarize the whole Old Testament. But for our purposes, we'll have just two overarching sections this morning, two overarching sections. In our first section, which will be most of our time, in our first section, we're going to look at three places in the Old Testament to summarize the story of Israel. And each of these passages is going to trace the progression of the story of Israel in the Old Testament. So that'll be our first section. And then in our second section, much more briefly, we'll see how that story of Israel relates to Jesus and Christmas in the New Testament. 
So in brief, three passages to summarize the story of Israel, and then second, how that connects to Christmas and Jesus in the New Testament. But with that said, let's now start our first section on these three places to summarize the story of Israel in the Old Testament. And we'll begin here in Deuteronomy 26, which was our scripture reading this morning. And we go here because in this passage, we have what has commonly been called an early Israelite creed, meaning what the early Israelites believed. And in context, what's going on here is Moses is telling the people of Israel what they're supposed to say in the future when they offer up their first fruits and tithes to the Lord. But it's an important text for us because this here in the Old Testament, we see a quick summary of God's redemption of Israel. So look at this paragraph here in verses five through 11. And as we do so, notice not only how this is a summary of God's redemption of Israel, but we'll see how this also is a great example of the foreshadowing of the redemption to come in Jesus Christ. But to see this, we'll read the paragraph in three quick steps. And as for the first step, we'll start in verses five and six. So look down at your Bibles again, verses five and six. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us, and laid, hand, laid on us hard labor. So here we see the creed begins with, a wandering Aramean was my father. And, and concerning quickly the Aramean part, that's just referring to Jacob who, who married the daughter of his uncle Laban who himself was an Aramean. But more important than that is the fact that this creed, as you can see, begins with this idea of wandering, even sojourning. The idea of not having a home, wandering, being lost. And then this is built upon there in verse six where after Israel does become a great number of people, still everything isn't right. And that's because the Egyptians, quote, treated us harshly and humiliated us. And, and so that's step one. The Israels admit that in their history, it began with this wandering and this dire situation. But now let's continue in verses seven through nine to see the second step. So let's read those verses now. Verses seven and nine, look down at your Bibles. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now here we see what the Lord God did about their situation. And here very briefly is the redemption of Israel explained. Because here in verse seven, they cry to the Lord in the midst of all of their afflictions. And what does the Lord do? Verse eight, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And this, as you might know, is referring to that central redemption event in the Old Testament, the Exodus, where God in history literally and physically rescued and saved his people out of Egypt with plagues and the miraculous splitting and crossing of the Red Sea. And that all then led, in verse 9, to where God brought the Israelites into their promised land. Which finally leads to the last step in the creed, verses 10 and 11. And here we're going to see the purpose of all of this. So look down at your Bibles, 10 and 11. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. 
and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you into your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. So here we see the purpose of this redemption. And what is it? Well, if we could summarize it really quickly, it's those two things. First, as you see in verse 10, it's so that God may be worshiped. And this makes sense. The redemption that God did for Israel is for God's glory so that they may worship God. But then also, second, as you see in verse 11, it isn't just so that God may be worshiped and glorified, but also at the same exact time, the goal is, quote, and you shall rejoice in all the good that your Lord has got, the Lord has, your God has given you. In other, in other words, this redemption was for God's glory, absolutely, and it's for their good as well, for their joy. And that then, really quickly, is the summary of the Israelite redemption. And we will go elsewhere in the Old Testament in a minute to see what happened to Israel after all this, but even just seeing that from Deuteronomy 26, perhaps you're seeing why this text and those three steps start to show us that this truly is redemption foreshadowed. And I say that because think of those steps. Step one is being lost and afflicted. Then step two is redemption and salvation. And then step three is the reason for it all, the glory of God and their good. And if you think of those, that's exactly what's true of the more glorious and forever redemption available in Jesus. But, but what's the main difference? Well, for the Israelites, it's, it of course was a spiritual redemption to a degree, but as you can see for yourself, it was mainly talked about as a physical redemption. Meaning their lostness, when they talk about their lostness, was mainly this physical lostness in sojourning and wandering. And then they were physically rescued out of physical slavery. And then they were physically brought into God's land to physically enjoy God's physical gifts like milk and honey. And in an important sense, God still cares about us, his people, physically. I just want to say there is nothing in the Christian message that regards the body or physical things as not important to God. And yet... With all that said, when we do turn to the New Testament and the final, forever, fuller redemption in Jesus Christ, one of the main things that we see is that this physical redemption of Israel was only a foretaste, a foreshadowing, a parable of the greater, more everlasting and spiritual redemption that we all really need and that's available in Jesus Christ. Deliverance from spiritual lostness brought not just into God's land, but into God's very family, saved not just temporarily and physically, but saved literally forever in Christ. And so that's redemption foreshadowed even just here in Deuteronomy 26. Because this is the basics and the beginning of the Israelite story of redemption in the Old Testament. It starts with the wandering and affliction, then comes the deliverance, and, and it's all for the purpose of God's glory and their joy. And for us, that's our rubric as well. <laughs> Saved, delivered, uh, or afflicted, saved, delivered for the glory of God. That's our rubric, but on a much bigger, deeper, and more everlasting scale. But that is just the initial story, as you might know, of Israel. 
Because as we know, the Old Testament does not end here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the last book in the Torah, as it's called, which are the books of Moses, the first five books in your Bible. But the Old Testament story continues on from here. So now we're going to see where the story goes from here. And so for our second of our three texts on the Old Testament, now turn with me to Judges, as you can see in your bulletin, Judges 21-25. And if you're in Deuteronomy, this will be about 75 or so pages to the right, Uh, The next book after Deuteronomy is Joshua, and then it's Judges, and we're in Judges 21, verse 25. It's the last verse in the book of Judges. And again, there are many places we could go to summarize the story of Israel, but I want us to go here in Judges because I do think that this is one verse that really sets the stage for the rest of the Old Testament. And so let's read Judges, or we'll look down at Judges 21, 25, and then we'll talk about what this has to do with the story of Israel. So the last verse in the book of Judges, verse 25, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So, so as, you can, as you can see, this is the last verse here, and it's an important verse. Because we need to know that in the story of Israel in the Bible, after Deuteronomy and Joshua, they enter the land, They enter the promised land, and then here in Judges, they're in the promised land. But importantly, as you can see, what happened once they were in the land? (laughs) Well, they, they didn't just obey and worship and glorify and enjoy the Lord. Instead, once again, they rebelled. Or as this verse says, instead of following the Lord's ways, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And therefore, this means that the redemption that we saw in Deuteronomy 26, the redemption from Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the Promised Land, it means that that redemption wasn't fully it. (laughs) Because yes, God redeemed them from Egypt, and yes, they were now in the Promised Land, but apparently that wasn't enough. (laughs) Not even close. Because once they were in the land, they still rebelled. Evil was still winning, and so something was still off. But that's only half of why that verse there in Judges is so helpful. So saying that everyone did what was right in his own eyes sets the stage for the story of Israel from here on out for how overall they continued to rebel. But also, this verse shows us a hint of where the Israelite story would then go from here. Because as that verse says in the first half, you can see it, quote, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And this also sets the stage for really the rest of the whole Old Testament. And that is not an exaggeration. Because if if you've read your Bibles in the Old Testament, you probably notice this. From here on out, especially starting in 1 Samuel, the people reject God as their king. And instead, they install kings for themselves like the other nations. And then after that, in Israel's history, it all centers around Israel's kings. It starts with Saul, and then with David, and then with Solomon, and then things start to get worse, and the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel split, with the northern kingdom being called Israel, the southern kingdom being called Judah, and then the story of the Old Testament, literally from then on, is centered around those kingdoms' kings. You've probably noticed that when you've read the Old Testament. From here on out, it's all about those kings and the people underneath those kings. But here's the point for us. So very, very briefly, the summary of Israel is first this redemption out of Egypt and then getting into the promised land and then being in the land but still rebelling and so needing a king. And then they get kings, but guess what? 
Even with the kings, they still overall rebelled. And that's why looking at this verse in Judges is so helpful. So they're doing what they want in their own eyes. And so they did need a king. But even then, once they got human kings, they still needed more. And that's because their kings overall, as you know, were not great leaders. But it's even more because God himself was supposed to be their king. And even because, even with their good kings, many of the people still overall rebelled and did what was right in their own eyes. And so the overall point is they needed more. And importantly, remember, God himself is the one sovereignly guiding this story and painting a picture for us of the redemption in Christ. Which finally leads to our third and final passage in the Old Testament story of Israel. And for this, turn with me now to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations. This will be toward the middle of your Bible. Probably the best way to find it is to see the book of Jeremiah, which is a really big book. And Lamentations is a small book that happens to come right after Jeremiah. So Lamentations, we'll start in chapter one. And we go here to Lamentations because this really is the last major step in the historic story of Old Testament Israel. Last major step. And so the redeemed from Egypt, they get into the promised land, they have kings, and then they split into these two kingdoms. And then in 722 BC in history, the northern kingdom that was called Israel at the time falls to the Assyrian Empire, exiled. And then in history in 586 BC, the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah at the time, falls to the Babylonian Empire. And that's exactly where the book of Lamentations comes in. This book is a lament about the fall of the kingdom of Judah and the fall of the city of Jerusalem. And to see the significance of this, now quickly read some sections from Lamentations. And we'll start, though, just in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. So as you can see, this is about the city of Jerusalem being overtaken, which was a big deal. Because God had redeemed them. He made all these promises. But then, because of the sin of his people, it now almost seems to be over. And and notice, the author here compares this city now to a widow in verse 1. And that's because God is her husband, but now she seems to be forsaken. And why did this all happen? Now look down at verse 5 of chapter 1. Verse 5. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captives before the foe. So it's clear that the Lord has afflicted her for because of the multitude of her transgressions. Or or, or to say it another way, this history of Israel here at this point is not random. Instead, this is God's right response to how his people over and over in the Old Testament rebelled against him. And so God has been sovereign over all of this. And this exile is his right response to the sin of his people. 
So that's what we see in the final stage here of the story of Israel. They're judged, exiled, seemingly forsaken. But that's certainly not the end of the story. Because as you may know from here on out, although at first all seems hopeless, it's actually by God allowing the Israelites to fall this low that then enables them to see how much they really do need God, how much they need something more, and it enables them to hope in God for what's to come. And it's exactly this that we see in the famous Lamentations 3. So turn me there if you can. This is now our last Old Testament verses that we'll be reading together. Lamentations 3 should be a couple pages to the right. And I'm sure you've probably heard one of these verses before. But perhaps you didn't really know the context of these verses. So remember, the context here is very clearly Israel getting so low in their sin that both of the kingdoms are now exiled. It seems hopeless. But then comes Lamentations 3, 18 through 23. And as we read this, notice that the inspired author on the one hand is admitting how sinful Israel has been and how God has rightly judged them, but also notice how he hopes in God's promises, in God's love and faithfulness. So let's read Lamentations 3, 18 through 23. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So that's the context of that famous great is your faithfulness verse. It is in the midst of this destruction and punishment, but still, the Israelites know that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Great is your faithfulness. And and what that means, especially that idea of steadfast love, which is common in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, this word chesed, is that God lovingly has made a covenant and a commitment and a promise to save his people and to forever redeem the universe. And so, in his faithfulness, in his love, he's going to keep that promise. And and so that really is a quick summary of what we call the Old Testament. From from here on out, there are a few stories in history about Israel after exile with with the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. But overall, that's really your whole Old Testament and the story of Israel in a nutshell. And just so you know, all the books in the Old Testament are either telling that story or they're books like Psalms and Proverbs that are songs and wisdom while that story's going on, or they're prophet books, which prophets were just basically people God sent to talk to the people of Israel and to encourage them to keep following the Lord. But that's really the whole Old Testament. But, but again, my hope for us this morning in going over all that is to show that it truly is redemption foreshadowed. And that's because if we think about it and we're to sum up all too briefly what happened with Israel, we could say that number one, that they were truly redeemed by God. They were, but also number two, that their whole story was pointing towards something more. 
For example, Israel was redeemed from slavery in Egypt, but their story shows us that they needed a a deeper, more lasting spiritual redemption in order to deal with their rebellious ways. Or think of something like God's presence. He was with them absolutely in the temple, yes, but only certain priests could go in there every once in a while. And then the temple was eventually destroyed and they needed a more lasting way to enter into God's presence. Or even consider the sacrificial system. They sacrificed animals for forgiveness and God did forgive them, but they always knew that an animal can't pay for the sins of a person. Or consider their kings. It was good in a sense for them to have kings who were supposed to guide them to follow the Lord, but these kings were always fallible themselves and overall the kings more hurt than helped the people. And so they needed a better king and again, they were supposed to have God himself as their king. Or finally, consider just their overall relationship with God. Yes, God was their God and they were his people, but then over and over, they couldn't walk faithfully with God. They needed more. Which in a minute, will lead us, of course, to Jesus and Christmas in the New Testament. And yet, before we, though, do go there, now with the whole Old Testament summarized, I know that that might have been a lot of information, and I know we can hear all that and think it just applies to them, to the Israelites. But to apply all that now to us this morning, what we need to know is the reason this is still in our Bibles is we're supposed to read the Old Testament and see that on our own, we need more as well. And I think that's really the the big takeaway from just the story of Israel and the story of redemption. Because the, the big takeaway is for us to realize that like Israel, we don't just or mainly need physical deliverance from things. Like, like being rescued from pain and sickness, as good as those things are. Nor do we just need or mainly need morals. Being, being told what's good and what's bad and being told how to follow the Lord and trying to walk in it. Because as sinful human beings, if we're just being given physical deliverance or if we're only given morals, the story of Israel is supposed to show us that if that's the case, we will fail. We need more. We need a deeper redemption than that. And so that's true for all of us. And this means that if you're here this morning and and if you're honest, you sometimes tend to think that what Christianity is mainly about is God physically rescuing you, whether from sickness and healing or financial troubles. Or if you think that Christianity is mainly about rules, God telling you what to do and you trying to follow it, then the Old Testament story should be a wake-up call. Because the whole Old Testament is meant to be a picture showing us that that alone doesn't work. Because the story of Israel proves that our God is a redeeming God and he enters into relationship with people, absolutely. But overall, the story of Israel was meant by God himself to be a picture of people needing more. We don't ultimately need just physical deliverance. We don't mainly need ethics or morality or to try to just be good people. Instead, we're much more lost and helpless than that. We need a deeper rescue. We need more of God's spirit. We need better, closer guidance. And really, we're so lost that we need God himself to come and to do this for us because we can't do it ourselves. Which finally leads us to the New Testament. So that's redemption foreshadowed. 
But that was always then pointing and painting a picture for the coming of Jesus Christ. And now once again, there's many places we could go to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of all this Old Testament anticipation. But since this is a series on the Christmas story of redemption, let's now go to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. It was already read this morning, but please turn with me to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. And the book of Luke should be about three quarters of the way through your Bibles. Luke chapter two. And here in Luke chapter 2, as we heard during the call to worship, is the famous Christian story, the Christmas story about the shepherds out in their field by nights and the night and the angels appearing to them and declaring to them the birth of Jesus. And it is a great story, but for our sake this morning, what we're going to do is we're just going to look at one verse from the story. One verse, verse 11. And this is part of what the angel declared to the shepherds, but as we read it, Notice for yourself what the angel decides to specifically say about who Jesus is. Because it really connects to all this from the Old Testament. So look down at your Bibles, Luke 2.11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So for us, we're used to hearing this verse at Christmas time. But... For a moment, just try to imagine an ancient Israelite hearing what was just read. Because in that short verse and brief description of who Jesus is, there is so much packed in and so much that shows us that finally, now, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament foreshadowing has come. And to see this, let's take what the angel says about Jesus phrase by phrase. It all begins with, for unto you is born. And this is significant because an ancient Israel would know that one of the big Old Testament promises from Isaiah chapter 9 about the coming Messiah started with, in Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born. And so the angel, by using this kind of phraseology, for to you is born, is referencing that prophecy about the, the Messiah from Isaiah 9. And then the angel continues in the city of David. And so now the angel references the king David and specifically the city of Bethlehem, which was the city of David. And importantly, as you might know, Bethlehem was prophesied in Micah 5 to be the place where the Messiah would be born. And so once again, we have the angel referencing another prophecy about the coming Messiah. And so unto you this day is born in the city of David. And then the angel starts describing who this baby really is. And first, he's a savior. And so now we get this idea of rescue and redemption. A more final and true and deeper rescue or salvation is going to come from this rescuer, this savior, this deliverer. And then the angel continues, a savior who is Christ. And so here it's, it's plain. This really is the Messiah, The Christ and the Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek version of the word Christ just means anointed one, but the idea with that carried the idea of a final king, a final priest, the one who would finally bring God's people forever back to him. Which leads us to the last thing the angel says in verse 11. So thus far we have promises like Isaiah 9 and Micah 5 being fulfilled in this baby. We have him being a savior and a redeemer and he's the Christ. He's the king, the priest, the Messiah. But to be honest, if that was it, perhaps an ancient Israelite hearing all that could have thought that maybe yet once again 
this could still be another incomplete redemption. Because remember, in the story of Israel over and over, there were other people who temporarily rescued and delivered Israel. There were other good human priests. There were other human kings, even generally godly ones. But overall, all those human leaders never fully worked. (laughs) And also remember, the Israelites were always supposed to have God himself as their king. And so if this savior, Messiah, priest, and king was just another human, even a very godly human, perhaps that still wouldn't be enough. But see for yourself in verse 11. Unto them, born that day, in the city of David, was a savior. And he was the Christ, but he wasn't just a human. <laughs> Instead, what's the last thing the angel declares? This baby is Christ the Lord. And to be so clear on this, for the ancient Israelite listening, that would have been massive. (laughs) Because the Lord, or the Greek word here, kurios, was what the Jews of Jesus' day called God, Yahweh, in the Old Testament. They translated the personal name Yahweh in their Old Testament with the Greek word kurios. And yet here in Luke 2, who was born? Christ the Lord. (laughs) The kurios, God himself. And therefore, this means that now, after the whole story of the Old Testament, starting at creation, and then in the fall in Genesis 3, and then with Moses and Israel, and then with all the priests and the kings, and even unto exile, now, finally, God himself is coming into his creation to redeem. He's amazingly being born. He's becoming one of us. He's the long-awaited for Messiah, and he's coming as the true and final Savior. And one last thing on this. It is this, then, that really is why the angel, right before this in verse 10, famously says that this is good news of great joy. And that's because while it is true that Jesus' coming at Christmas is a beautiful, humble display of gentleness and lowliness, as God himself is amazingly being born in a manger, While that's true, what's even more of good news and of great joy that will be for all the people is that Jesus' coming here is mainly about God's final and forever redemption. That's what we're seeing here. It's it's about God's redemption and his peep of his people in the universe that two weeks ago we saw he planned before he even created the world. This is now about God's redemption that we saw last week where God promised that the serpent and evil would be forever crushed. And now this week, it's about God's redemption that was foreshadowed in the whole story of the Old Testament. All of it was always pointing toward, longing for God himself to come to redeem. And here he is in Luke 2. He came as the Savior, Christ the Lord. And that then is a story of redemption foreshadowed in the whole Old Testament story of Israel and how Jesus and Christmas relate to it. And and as we close then, there's a lot, of course, that we can learn from the whole Old Testament, from the story of Israel, specifically from all the promises of God in the Old Testament, and we'll be looking at some of those promises of redemption next week. 
But if we were just to have one big takeaway this morning, after seeing all of that about the Old Testament and how it really does lead to Jesus, I think we should see that above all, what God apparently wants for us is to really look more and more at Jesus. Really just look more and more at Jesus. Meet him, focus on Jesus, see who he really is, what he's done, and continue to just look more and more at him. And so I know maybe a lot of that information was a lot, but I do pray that that's the overall takeaway that you take from all this. Look more at Jesus, especially during Christmas season. And I say that because, again, think about it. If we were to very simply and concisely summarize why God had the whole Old Testament story of Israel, it would be that. So that people would look at, would look to Jesus. So that Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, would be understood more. So that Jesus would be seen as better than all the physical redemption in the Old Testament. So that Jesus would be seen as the solution and the Savior that everyone in the world needs. That's very simply why the whole Old Testament story exists and what it was always picturing for the Israelites and for us. And therefore, for all of us here this morning, no matter where you are in your story, no matter whether you tend to think of yourself honestly somewhat as a decent person and you you think of yourself more like the positive examples in the Old Testament or whether you tend to think you're just super sinful and you're more like the rebellious Israelites in the Old Testament. Either way, what you tend to think of yourself doesn't matter as much because in the end, the point is the same. Look to Jesus. Because the truth is, there is no one good on their own. Everyone, even the positive examples in the Old Testament, everyone's a sinner and all of us need Jesus. And on the other hand, if you're honest with yourself and you feel like you're just too rebellious and too sinful for the Savior, the truth is that that's impossible because it's rebellious sinners like the Old Testament Israelites that this God, Jesus Christ, came to save. And so as the end of this message, I just, I just want to repeat, wherever you are in your life, because only you personally know, you and the Lord, wherever you are in your life, and that applies to whether you've been a Christian for a while, whether you're a newer Christian, maybe you're just a seeker here this morning, or maybe you're here and you came here this morning, if you're honest, really not caring at first about Jesus at all. <laughs> wherever you are in your life, I just really encourage you to look at Jesus Christ this morning, maybe afresh, and to continue to do that in your life. Look at this whole story of the Bible. Look at your story in your life and see how much you need him. And see how much this gospel and redemption and his love are better than anything the world can offer because they really are. So church, that's a rough outline of the whole Old Testament story and that's our Jesus. Unto us sinners, 2,000 years ago, was born in the city of David a savior who was and he still is Christ the Lord. Amen, let's pray.